Welcome to the Boston Society of the New Jerusalem's Church on the Hill podcast. If you like it, consider joining us at 140 Bowden Street in Boston for more, or visit us on the web at churchonthehillboston.org. That's a pretty deep passage, I think. It's a pretty deep passage, and you can really, uh, you can really boil that and boil that down pretty simply. And it was chosen because Swedenborg actually talked about a reading from Deuteronomy in the light of that passage. The prophet coming from their own means it needs to come from what you love. It comes from inside of you. We do not believe people that we do not trust. And if we hear a good idea and we don't like it, do you know what we do? We don't do it. That's basically what Swedenborg said. Now, I'm guessing that everyone here, well, maybe outside of one person, thinks they're a good person. (laughs) I'm guessing we all think we're good and moral people. And I am not here to challenge that. But you know something? We are not God. And by that, I mean we're not perfect. Only God is perfect. Only God truly understands what it means for us to be loving and good people. The second that we think that we are so good that we do not need to change, and I know anyone who listens to me We'll hear this time and time again. When we think we've made it, we've lost. It's only as we are trying to continually grow and become better that we are transformed. So what is it that people use as a determiner to try and figure out whether or not they're good or not? They can say, well, I follow the law, right? Because everyone who follows the law is a good person, right? All the people who followed the laws with mortgage-backed securities that ended up bringing down the world's economy, they were good people. They followed the law, didn't they? No. We know that. How about this? Did you know the Nazis followed the law? Now, my son's fascinated with World War II now, so we have lots of World War II conversations. Nazis followed the laws. The laws were bad. Slave owners followed the law. Stalin followed the law. Sweatshop employers during the garment district fires in New York City followed the law. The U.S. government during segregation followed the law. One of the things that I'm worried about is that we can stand here on top of Beacon Hill, highest point, or maybe go up to the 19th floor deck area and look down and at a high point, and look back on the people of history or look down on other people and say, well, my gosh, they were immoral and bad people. I question that. Not because I think what they did was right, but they were operating from a place of their own experience. There are ways in which the person who argued for segregation was pushing toward freedom in contrast to slavery. And the person who in segregation pushed 
to hopefully what we one day can achieve, an equitable view of all our fellow people, well, those people were standing on the shoulders of the people before them. There are people who fought for justice, and that justice is something that we might view as backwards now. I want to give you a for instance. It's a for instance I think about every month. It's a, for gifts, it's a for instance that I think about whenever I look at the back of our church newsletter. Now, I don't know how many people pay attention to the back, but there's a person on the back of our church newsletter named Lydia Marie Child. I don't know if anyone knows who she is. She's a relatively locally famous, at least, maybe in Boston. But within the abolitionist movement, she was a pivotal female figure. We put her on the back, I'm assuming, because Lydia Marie Child at one point was a member of this church. In the early 1820s, she signed the membership roll because she read the writings of Emanuel Swedenborg. She looked at the Bible and said, wow, these things transform my life. These are great. And so she joined the church, and within 10 years, she left it. And when she left, she left a note to the pastor saying, I don't see how anything that could come from heaven could not actively resist slavery. And so she left. At some point, we made the decision to put this person on the back of our bulletin to give us credibility, to give us name recognition. I'm not sure why, but for me it stands as a symbol. Because when I started for the first time really researching her life, I found something interesting out. In the 1850s, the pastor who told her that the church would not get involved in the, in the abolition movement sent her a note thanking her because it was through her writings over the 20 years after she left the church that he credits her for helping him see the errors of his ways and for helping him be on the right side of history. Every time I look at that picture of child, I don't see it as a taking pride in the membership of her being here. I take pride in the fact that after she left, that this congregation got its act together. It embraced a new teaching. I see her as an inspiration because it allowed for the transformation of a group of people who were too scared to risk. She was not willing to sit in a church that was wanting to just stand by and be comfortable, not making waves, did not want to sit in a church that only cared about itself and what it was doing for its own members. It wa she wanted to be part of a church whose interest was not self-interest. I would argue that in our gospel reading today, we have a message that says a person of a faith, a person of faith, must be a person whose faith affects their life. 
Now, if you actually read it, it doesn't say that clearly. I get that. What it says is when the Lord commands us to shun evil, we shun evil and we actively do it. This is not an esoteric thing that happens by us going, oh, yeah, you know, you're right. Because like in our Swedenborg reading, what happens when we just sit there and don't actually transform ourselves? When we go to sleep, it's a great idea. When we wake up in the morning, we forget it. In our story, Jesus was in the temple. One might say that he was in the place where Marx referred to religion as the opiate of the masses. He was in the place that was trying to support the government, that was trying to support the status quo. He was in the place that I would say was much more fixated on the world. And he received resistance from that, and he casted out the spirit. And people saw it and said, where is this new teaching? This new teaching from a new place of authority coming from? He transformed the people in that space. What is the new teaching? What is the reason that you have a life of faith? One of the things that many of our brother and sister congregations around the, well, around the city and around the country are facing is what happens if you lose your building? What happens if your membership shrinks to the point that you have no assets? What happens when all of a sudden you and your faith are not left with anything outside of you and that faith? People form house churches. People come together. The buildings are lost. The assets are lost. What do you do? People meet in homes. People join with other congregations. There are lots of things. The central point is, what is it that drives you? What is your message? What is your teaching? The demon that is cast out is is teaching a message of, We don't want things to change. We don't want to have our spiritual life transformed. And it is chased away by a very simple teaching with authority from the Lord. This is not about an event way, way back. This is about us. This is is about each one of us. How do we worship? Swedenborg says a life of worship and a life of prayer is a life of service to the Lord, to others. It is not about attending a Sunday morning service. It is about the way in which your love reaches out and tries to transform the world around it. It can be done at work. It can be done on the streets. It can be done while commuting. It can be done anywhere. The question is, do you feel that everything you do is motivated by God and by the love of God for another person. This is what Lydia Marie Child was saying when she walked out of this church. You know, my mother as a church treasurer was famous uh, at one point for standing up during a a big church meeting and uh, being upset at the direction of the church. And she said, you want to know where you are spiritually located? Look at your credit card bill and your bank statement. 
Look at who you are willing to spend your money on. Now, here's my thing. There are people out there that either don't have money or whose money goes to complete self-sufficiency. So what I would say is money is also a symbol for our effort. We are given this money because of the things we do. So if we are doing something and we receive this symbol for effort, we can then give that money out as a symbol for our effort. So if one does not have money, you can say, what is it that I do? How do I spend my time? If you want to know where the temple is that is trying to make you not grow, sit down and journal about your day. Ask yourself, what do I do when I get up in the morning? At what point during the day do I think about how God is asking me to care about another's? I'm not talking about giving money. I'm talking even about caring about the person who's your customer in your work state, caring, work state, workplace, the person who's on the road with you, the person who's on the sidewalk with you. If you can see that person as another human being that needs love, that is the place where your will is. If you do that, you have the chance to transform your definition of God's creation. And that is a new teaching. And it doesn't just stop when I say, Woo, today I saw one person I could help. Because every day we try harder and harder to find a new teaching. And the new teaching is a transformation of what it means for us to love God around us. It took 20 years. But the pastor and the members of this church realized it was important to be part of the transformation of some of the worst horrific things this society has ever done. It's not because they were evil people. It's because they didn't understand. What can we do to maximize our understanding? We can look to God. We can look to the people around us as people of God. We can look for the opportunity in everything we do to not just care about someone. And this is one of the things I really actually like about the Swedenborgian church teaching. Lots of people walk around in the Christian world and say, we're supposed to love our neighbor. What does that mean? Does that mean you give the neighbor what they ask for? A lot of people think, oh, love your neighbor means if someone asks for something, you should give it. But that's, that can be unhealthy, bad love. There are lots of bad desires out there that you could feed into and you could actually hurt someone's spiritual state by giving them something that's bad for them because they want it. What Swedenborg hears when he sees loving the neighbor is about loving the good that is in the neighbor. That means when we look at other religions, it's about loving the good that those religions teach. It's about loving the good that's in the people around us. It means it gives us a line where we can actually challenge evil and search for the good. We have an obligation to both stop bad, but also say that even in the worst person, and I'm sorry to say this, Reverend Leach, even Trump has good that we can find. Or, if you stand on the other side of the aisle, even Hillary Clinton has good that we can find. The second that we shut the door to looking for good in someone, 
we close off the ability to find a new teaching. That is what it means for us to love the neighbor. That is what it means for us to cherish freedom and to invite transformation into our hearts and into our community. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Boston Society of the New Jerusalem's Church on the Hill podcast. If you liked what you hear, consider joining us at 140 Bowdoin Street, Boston, for more. Or visit us on the web at churchonthehillboston.org.